Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'll ask anybody's question for years. You're an idiot. And really a disloyal person. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Disloyal Idiots, a fans for a sports network podcast. I am joining you as sometimes recently, Steve Haller. Uh seems like Pregler's actually making it more often than I am these last couple of weeks, but uh Christian's always here and uh we got the crew back together. The band the band is back together. So, uh, how are we doing coming off the SU victory over Army, folks? What a game to come back to bring the band back together, huh? <laughs> Full-blown, uh, we, we go from full sickos to fuller sickos? Yeah. I thought that game was interesting. <laughs> A.K.A. sicko. Interesting is one way to put it, Andy. Please, elaborate. <laughs> I mean, if you, this is, this is basically, you know, doing the whole meme of, you know, if uh, my grandmother had two wheels, she'd be a bicycle. But if you remove the opening uh, 70 play or 75 yard, 17 play drive and the garbage time touchdown, the Syracuse defense played at an elite level and a lot of the underlying metrics, uh, took that into account when updating their Syracuse profiles. Now, the weird part is that I am slightly more concerned about the offense than I was, but the offense also moved the ball incredibly efficiently uh, by regular standards, just not necessarily by the amount that we thought that you could against this Army defense. And I guess that is like... The takeaway for this game is that Syracuse survived and they won and that's all good, but they only beat army by 13 points, which is what Vegas expected. And so by that logic, Syracuse is going to lose to Clemson by nine. And I think that there's a large section of this fan base that is expecting Syracuse to make this week ends game a potential upset. And I'm not sure that's on the cards. And that section of the fan base needs to reevaluate things. Because no matter what, we're still Syracuse and they're still Clemson. Yes, an upset is more on the cards than it has been in a while in the Clemson match, judging by how both teams are currently playing. However, regression to the mean on both sides means there's a good chance Syracuse loses this week. And ironically, in a weird way in narrative, it's both offenses that are going to have to decide how that game goes because both offenses are question mark, question mark, question mark. 
What's an offense? Yeah, let's <laughs> let's jump into the Syracuse's the Syracuse's offense before we talk about the defense. Uh the fact that they were not on the field a lot is something that I want to address later when we talk about overall like holistic you know coaching things that came out of this game that i have questions about but on the actual execution of the offense uh we now know that isaiah jones is just going to be probably out for the year after being told by dino that he did not miss most of the purdue game due to injury and then being told after the game that he is dealing with a significant injury he sustained during the purdue game so um i'm a little bit mad about that but the offense like without Damian Alford looks worrisome. Is is that fair to say? Or with just Damian Alford looks worrisome. Yes. Yes. And no, that's, that's what I'm going to say because yes, Alford is now your only receiver that has experience just in general. I mean, you're relying on Donovan Brown and Yamari Hatcher as your number two and three who, both of them probably have a high ceiling, just based on what we know. But they're nowhere near that ceiling yet. And so you're relying a lot on Alford to do what he did against Army, which was use his natural athleticism to try and make plays. And because of that, you also now have to rely on Garrett Schrader being more accurate, which, as we saw, especially in the first half, that's still a problem. He was very accurate to Army. You make great points. And we were, you know what? Two weeks ago, we were complaining about all these drop balls. And if it weren't for drop balls, Schrader would have had two more picks. This is also very true. So we can't have our cake and eat it too here, folks. But then we also have to talk about the other thing that is with Schrader and accuracy. Which still just infuriates me to no end because I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Jason Beck was here last year, right? Last I heard, yes. And so he knows that Robert and A drew up a ton of plays to set up Schrader over the middle. Yes, granted, a lot of over 80% of those were to a Rondé Gatson. I get it. But it seems like those worked. One would think. I I think that this is where the Gatson thing is actually worrisome for me because like, this is where actually this is where the Isaiah Jones thing is act, is more worrying for me because it was really clear Jones was going to step into that Gadsden slot receiver big body run routes over the middle and I think from what we saw with Damian Alford Damian Alford does one thing really well and that is run, run down the route. <laughs> and jump up for the ball which is a great thing to have it's a but, great compliment to what you were talking about over the middle it's not exactly it can't be the only thing we we got to have a fire and ice you can't just have fire you can't just have ice (laughs) and i think this is i think this is where we are going to really see the creativity of of beck come if if it's there it's got to come out now because i do think that part of the reason why we've not seen a whole lot over the middle is that syracuse does not have any pass catching tight ends on the roster right now and they what do you do mean, Dan Valori caught a pass? What are you talking about? I was going to say, you, you're forgetting Thunder Dan. <laughs> I, I stand by my statement. The Syracuse has no pass catching <laughs> tight ends on now, this roster. Now, now we can go back. Uh, let's, let's put a cork in the tight end thing because I do want to come back to that. Okay. But my, the, the premise being, I don't, like, when you look at the wide receivers that you have left, no one naturally fits into that role. And so now you're talking about scheming plays that are going to either take time or that rely on a certain level of timing that you probably can't implement at this point in the season. And I think this is, this is where the creativity is going to really come into play because I, I'm with you, Christian. The, the sh- growth of Schrader's passing game is not that he suddenly can hit the out routes towards the sideline from the far hash. That is just never going to be something Schrader can do. And you only ask him to make those throws when you know that the coverage is going to be soft and he can basically lob that throw in. The throws over the middle are where he was able to succeed as a passer. 
And you need to have that in the offense. Otherwise, we're going back to the very one-dimensional days where it's Schrader run or Schrader throw deep. Uh, but I, my biggest concern right now is just like looking at this roster. I don't think there's any wide receiver that you can realistically plug and play into the offensive scheme that we have seen so far over the last two years and expect any kind of successful results just plugging and playing. You need to fundamentally alter the scheme, fundamentally out alter the route combinations that are being run. Um, and that, to long-term, I think this game showed, long-term, this is going to be an issue for this offense that they now have to work through against in the toughest three games that they have uh, on the schedule. Now, might I suggest something that might not be as scheme-altering, but at the same time could also be scheme-altering based on how Syracuse has practiced or not? Why not throw the ball to one? We've and by one, for people who are living under a rock, that's LaQuint Allen. Yeah, and we did a little. A little. And why not even use him over in the middle? I mean, like... Christian McCaffrey real real routes work for a reason. And I'm not saying yeah. LaQuinn Allen is Christian McCaffrey. But if Dino Babers is going to say LaQuinn Allen is Marcus Allen, like, why not lean into that a bit? Yeah. Now, in order schematically to do that, you also need to have tight ends that can block and or be a threat to release. Which brings me back to the tight end thing <laughs> with Thunderdam. Because somehow he became our best blocking tight end now. Yeah, I remember writing that in a Slack. Yeah, like that is literally why I said we don't have a pass catching tight end. I do not want Dan Valari running routes if we are throwing the ball down the field because somebody has to fucking block an edge rusher. Sorry for well, dropping the f bomb, but like that. That's why I brought that oh. in with the LaQuinn Allen thing is because schematically you either need, unless you're going to just fly you need either your running back or your tight end to be able to function as a blocker. Now that said, you run something like that tight end wheel. And if it's, or that running back wheel, and if it's not open, you have Valari release late and dump to him when everybody's already cleared off. And it's like, Oh wait, these, these schemes can work and things can happen, but we need to get out of the mold we're in now that was molded around Gadsden. I mean, chip block trades have been a part of the NFL game for God knows how long. For hi, Tony Gonzalez has a whole career to say hi to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, um, I mean, it'd be nice. Like I think the last, the last, uh, last time I remember something like that was the throwback in '98. <laughs> Mildly ironically, but not too far off. Um, but yeah, the I don't know where. What what do we think we need to do more to get Allen involved in this offense? Because we did see his legs to a degree, and he got over 100 yards on the ground this week. But do we need the ball in his hands more and somewhere else? Who do you know has spare body parts, specifically of the lower body type? <laughs> well, do you I not want answer. my... I was going to say, you're talking to two guys right now who probably have the worst knees of any <laughs> podcasters out there. <laughs> Great, that's fine. But do you know people who can donate them to Syracuse, particularly <laughs> to Kaylin Ellis and, and Joe Moore? That'd be nice. That would be very nice. And have we heard? Because that's they... probably your best solution right now. It, it may yeah. be. And that would hypothetically also shore up some of the Schrader issues with getting flushed, especially against a much stronger Clemson defensive front this week. Um, and it may also mean that you may only have to do five, especially because if you bring Ellis on the on the left side, Curtis and Ellis on the left side can hold it down pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, I think this is actually one of the, one of the interesting things this year. So shout out. We, I don't have, it hasn't been updated through week four. Um, but this is through week three of the college football season. These numbers are probably going to be adjusted a bit. Um, but Stats of War, uh, who runs CFB Graphs, has updated his site for this year's uh, data. And the efficiency numbers that he does are really interesting to me. And this year, he's changed the offense. Um, he's changed the offensive rankings to be and defensive rankings to track overall efficiency, 
uh, rushing efficiency, drop back efficiency, and early down efficiency. And this is something where I think if you're Syracuse, like this is the red flag of the offense and why you need to figure out this offensive line setup. Uh, Syracuse overall efficiency, uh, the rushing efficiency is 47th in the country and their early down efficiency is 45th in the country. And I think that that kind of tracks because we've seen Beck have a commitment to trying to run the ball on early downs. However, Syracuse's drop back passing efficiency is 12th in the country. And that is a number that I would expect to regress a bit just based off of Garrett Schrader and the lack of wide receivers we have. However, if that number is going to regress, then the early down success rate needs to get better. And I, and this is, I think where what you guys are talking about becomes so key, like getting look, LeQuint Allen is an electric playmaker in a way that Sean Tucker wasn't. Sean Tucker was brute force in a running back body. And LeQuint Allen definitely has some of that power. Like we saw him rip off, you know, break plenty of tackles the last two weeks. But he is somebody who, if you put him in space, he can do a lot of damage. And I think that... Um, I know, I know we talk about tempo. I know that the temp, the, these college games are going quicker than ever right now. And teams are getting off less plays per game. And I think for Syracuse, like, I know we kind of went away from tempo because the referees are starting to control it a little bit more. I, I, at this point, I want to see Syracuse run more, you know, 11 personnel, 12 personnel for entire drives and prevent teams from subbing. And the offensive line stuff comes really front and center in order to make that happen because army was taking advantage every time that Syracuse subbed to slow down the pace of the game and get a read on what Syracuse's formation slash, you know, like basically disrupt the flow of the offense. And they did it pretty efficiently. And I think that that is going to be replicated throughout the ACC play, considering how effective it was. And, And that to me is, very much predicated on the O-line play. It's very much predicated on trusting to have Valari as a blocking tight end consistently. Being able to... <laughs> words you thought you never were going to say at the beginning of this season. No, words you definitely oh. never thought you were going to say two years ago when he came in as a quarterback. That too. <laughs> when he came in as the next Eric Dungy? Yes. Um, <laughs> all that said, I'm that, really that glad... Tweet, that that tweet of me announcing his transfer to Syracuse is still one of my most liked tweets. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, I'm glad he's uh, he's found a found a rhythm at least, though. That's uh, it's it's always good to see. Like for some reason, you always see quarterbacks move to tight end, and it's good to see one actually succeed at it. Or it seems like I mean, succeeding at this point. You were the one that was saying, like in our you know in our Slack chat, like it's weird, but quarterbacks usually end up being good blockers for some reason. I I don't know why. It's <laughs> just don't just don't look at what Geno Smith tried to do today. I don't. I often well, don't look at what Geno Smith tries to do most days. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ever, I'll, so, Geno so, Smith, all I can think about, and any Syracuse fan can remember that game with him just sitting there dumbfounded on the phones up to the offensive coordinator like, I don't know what to do. And that was one of my favorite favorite games to watch as a Syracuse fan. Just oh, so day. Tommy Reese with Alabama's quarterback room right now. Yes. Hey! <laughs> So I think this is actually um this is this is a great time. We we kind of talked about the offensive line. Um we kind of talked about the wide receiver room. We kind of talked about Schrader. I, I guess we can start with we can start with Steve here. Like the takeaway that I have from the army game on the offensive side of the ball is that this t- this offense is probably going to have flashes where it looks really good. Because once the offense got into a rhythm in that second half and they were able to dictate the tempo a little bit more they were clicking in a way that felt very reminiscent of 2018. However, unlike the 2018 team, injuries have kind of robbed them of that. Like for that team, it was Steve Ishmael. For this team, it was a Ronde Gatston as just the guy that you hit in that like seven to 10 yard first down passing play to keep the chains moving. Obviously, they're they're not going to have that. And I think at times we're going to see it stall out. 
but I'm, I'm just curious from your perspective, like obviously getting the offensive line healthy will probably make some big changes here, but I'm wondering if you had any other takeaways from this game specifically on offense. And this is your, this is, I am literally teeing you up to talk about the offensive line and protections if you want to, because yeah, I feel like you want to. I, here's my hot take. The offensive line didn't look that bad this weekend. I'd agree with that. I think a lot of Schrader is starting to do that thing, and he settled in more in the second half, but he was doing that thing that he did two years ago where he got happy feet. And when he gets happy feet, he ends up literally running around tackles blocking for him, and it, it, it in effect, moves the pocket to the outside of the tackle, which I'm not a doctor doesn't really work well um there's this thing called the defensive end that's usually outside the tackle and he tries to tackle you and it doesn't that's not good um but when schrader stayed in containment in the pocket it actually like he had time to throw when he stepped up through his line he had time to throw when he actually like read what was happening it it worked well and i think there was a lot more towards the second half i mean I say towards the second half, he ran six plays in the first half. Like yeah. <laughs> the, the the sample size is pretty limited as to what happened in the first half. I remember looking up during that first drive and there was six minutes left in the first quarter and army still had the ball. And I was like, what, what, what's, what's happening? Like, I was talking with a Mike during this game and he said, basically, this is a, this is a reward for everyone who had to sit through the Western Michigan game. <laughs> this was the consolation prize. Speed yeah. up that first half. Yeah. And, uh, but I mean, the run blocking was probably the best we've seen this year. The pass blocking was probably close to the best we've seen this year. Um, again, the levels of defensive front we've seen this year haven't been absolutely stellar, uh, by any stretch, but they've, they've at least been up to a modicum of the challenge. Now, if we can get some of those wideouts that, are now forced into play and now have at least a game in their new roles under their belt and Trevor Pena back healthy or at least healthy ish, judging by the fact he wasn't back there on returns. Um, that combination might actually lead to a little bit better performance this weekend. I don't know. Call me crazy. Here's what I'm going to say. Uh, it's going to sound weird. Uh, because I'm going to say two things that sound impossible to do at the same time. But Trader needs to be along the line of what Steve is saying. He needs to be more decisive, which is something we, we didn't see in that game. It was very decisive in the Purdue game. Yeah. But then along the same lines, he needs to be also diversive as well. Because what we've seen from each of the games is Colgate, Army, Colgate, Western Michigan, and Army is when Schrader escapes the pocket, he's looking to pass. Against Purdue, when he escapes the pocket, he's looking to run. And in that terms, he's not being diversive enough in order to confuse the offenses and uh, confuse, the, confuse the opposing defense into determining what he's trying to do. Now, against Army, like you said, there were times where I felt like Schrader was not being decisive enough once he was outside of the pocket. But once he is, I think he's got to mix it up more in terms of whether he's going to run or whether he's going to throw. Because that's what makes Syracuse's offense dynamic and unpredictable. If we want to avoid the one-dimensionalism that I fear like most of us are fearing Syracuse is getting into, Schrader's got to mix that up more. Yeah, and that was that was something we saw a couple of times. Like, even when he stayed in the pocket, he committed to staying in the pocket. And I, I mean, I distinctly can remember at least two different plays where he took coverage sacks. Probably the only two sacks he took all game. They were both coverage sacks, and they were there was a lane, a running lane open in front of him, and he. I, I don't know if it was by design or what, but he did not break loose and did not try and break contain and get outside, and probably could have and I, I mean if teams are at a point where you're taking a coverage sack you're going to have space to run like 
the opposing defenses are not going to be running a spy and also force you into coverage sack. And if they do, we've got a lot more problems. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, problem is we might, but you know that's a tough <laughs> right. another day. Yeah, I, I I think that this is one of the things about Schrader uh, that has been kind of me coming to terms with Garrett Schrader is realizing that he's never going to be Eric Dungey, and that also we got to stop comparing people to Eric Dungey. He is one of the top five quarterbacks in program history, might be top three uh, of all time. Like comparing anybody to the third best quarterback in program history, that's a dumb idea. Let's just let's just stop doing that. You know how I know but, he's young. <laughs> I mean, I, we can go into this. This is off season topic. I, I firmly believe that it is McNabb, McPherson, Dungy, Graves, Nassib, three through five. You can, you can three through five. You can, there's arguments to be had in any direction, but I think that those are the five. I'm going to make our fan base really hate me and say that I actually prefer Garrett Schrader's game to Eric Dungy in a heartbeat. Wow, Steve, talk talk me through this because I was just about to say that like Schrader is a way better runner. He's than a way Dungy better runner, and he's was. a way better passer. Dungy was a much better decision maker, but Schrader has a better arm and is better on his feet. See, I think I think Dungy had a better. Well, I guess this is actually decision making. There was nobody who could hit a streaking guy like Dungy could but yeah you're right those were all like he just committed to that throw he didn't wait to see if the guy was open right he just threw it to a spot and said get there and, and he had some of the receivers that could get there with him yeah the, the, yeah. yeah it helps if your receivers are Ahmed Atawo, Steve Ishmael, Jamal Custis and if we didn't have feet made of glass this year he would have had two of those guys probably oh if think about this receiving core if the two that are out likely for the season with Jones's latest happy fun time and Pena healthy, healthy at the beginning of the year. Like you've got those three across with Alfred running streaks. Tell me that isn't as dangerous as anything Dungy had. And it also takes the pressure off of Schrader and makes him have to do less. I, I, no, I mean, you're hundred percent right. <laughs> this what's really frustrating about this year is that if healthy, with the way the ACC is going, ten and two is absolutely a viable outcome. Like, absolutely. Why? Just the problem because the is ACC that with... is pants on head right now. Exactly. <laughs> like North Carolina. Hey, Cal's coming next year. <laughs> they can still get <laughs> back Stanford. in this. <laughs> uh, uh, by the yeah. way, how worn out is that going to be <laughs> in the next couple of years? Um. I just, sorry, I just watched Matt Canada do something stupid again. Um, back to things that make Ooh, me happy. I, I was going to um, say, this is... But in, other, in other news, water is wet? Right. Here uh, we speaking are. Of, I was going to say, we're talking about the ACC being pants on wet. Like, every offensive coordinator in the city of Pittsburgh is terrible. UNC um, was losing to said terrible offensive coordinator this week for a good period of time. Um Clemson is Clemson, like it's it's just yeah. there. The problem is the that Bills can't play at gone. the Meadowlands and then win thirty-seven to three today. Yeah, the, nothing football, makes sense. Football is football sense. is weird. Football is chaotic, but it's also very predictable. And it's almost always predictable that when your best players get hurt, your team does worse. And Aronde Gaston <laughs> again, was... Pittsburgh high end talent. When the high end talent of Pittsburgh gets hurt, they look like crap. And so, like DJ so like, Watt this... last year. I so true. Oh, uh, I was gonna say, Andy. For anybody listening, Andy just kind of twitched. So <laughs> just everything is so everything. Hurts. Side note: I saw something on a uh, Twitter last week that said Pitt, Pitt, the Steelers have literally become Iowa. Incredible defenses, with the fans knowing knowing the name of the offensive coordinator more than anybody else. I mean, if you if you look at the if you look at the jerseys, they're the same jerseys. So you know, and, I'm, and I'm so not... in fact, they are the same team. Yes. Life-changing um, defenses with offensive coordinators and fan bases are actively chanting at games to fire. Right. I would rather have – I'd have Jason Beck in a heartbeat over Matt Canada. I don't, I don't think that that's, like, a controversial opinion right here. Um, man, Syracuse, we've really got – we've really got Syracuse off. matched up against Matt Canada? Oh, boy, do I. That was uh, 2017. 
Jesus, really? Yeah. It's been because, yeah, he, he had a weird career, too. But this is. Yeah, we are, we are so off the rails here. Steve, Steve <laughs> if you forgot, Matt Canada, what as was at one point the offensive coordinator for LSU. Yeah, I just forgot that was 2017. Yes. Huh. Well, I learned something today. <laughs> the back to the Syracuse. This is this is going to be so great. Um, okay. Oh, you know what? Garrett- do you know where? Uh, do you know where Matt Canada started his coaching career? Do not say Syracuse. No. Indiana University. You know what that might be uh, indicative of? Home field apparel gave us back Canada. Connor, I hate you. <laughs> Home field you guys apparel. were blaming Indiana for releasing back Canada onto the world. He played at Indiana oh. and he coached in Indiana. This is where it came from. <laughs> The original nine win Deanna is Matt Canada, and I am going to cr- make Connor make a uh, Matt Canada was born here t-shirt, and uh, I would wear it because home field t-shirts are the comfiest shirts that you can possibly get. Same with their hoodies, same with their joggers, same with their quarter zips. They have a lot of really good stuff that you should wear because it's really awesome, and they make tons of designs for things that are not inducive of Matt Canada like great retro Syracuse shirts. Uh, you should go check them out. Homefieldapparel.com. Use promo code NUNES23, N-U-N-E-S-2-3, for 15% off your first order. Uh, uh, hold on. In my last Matt Canada facts for the day, uh, did you know that we faced Matt Canada in one, two, three, four, five successive years or no, uh, three out of five successive years and uh, on three different teams. Oh, wait, Pitt? LSU. Yeah, Pitt. So LSU. before he was LSU, he was the Pitt offensive coordinator. Yeah, the yeah. Pitt, LSU, and who's the third one? NC State. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yep. Was he? No, was he, he was there before the Pitt game. It wasn't the stupid game. No, but was he the 2019 NC State game? No, no, he was the 2014, was it? Or 2015, one of one of those years. 2019, he was not coaching anywhere. It was after his Maryland stint before he went to the Steelers. Wait, Hold was on. he in Maryland in I, 2019? Maryland in 2018. Okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that 20, yeah, he was the 2014 when they beat Syracuse at the Dome 24-17. That yep. was a Matt Canada game. Man, this man has been Who making a starting my life quarterback for that Syracuse for a long team. Time. <laughs> for 2017? No, 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 2014, right? Oh, 2014 would have been Was this was this Mitch Kimball or AJ Long? That might have been Or Austin Wilson. Was that Officer Mahoney? No, Mahoney was no, two Mahoney years was, later. Yeah, later. That, that was either Wilson, Long, or Kimball. I think that was an Austin. That might have been an Austin Wilson. Oh God! Wow, we're hitting the. I'm 2014 gl- was an awful year for quarterbacks. I'm glad Matt Canada has brought us this much weirdness to the podcast because we really I'm, needed okay. more. Okay, <laughs> so you were you were correct. AJ Long was the it was AJ Long was the quarterback. Oh, okay. Um, the other three were on the roster. His, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I want to let you know that he's uh, he's no longer a Syracuse player on ESPN, which I think is very funny. I will give you a hundred dollars if you can guess who the NC State quarterback was that who started that game and beat Syracuse. Oh man, it was the guy who was there forever, wasn't it? Uh, Two thousand fourteen. God, who was that? It was the guy that was there forever. Oh no, this this was their Trevor Cooney. Oh man, I forgot. Uh, I have no idea. Jacoby Brissett. Oh my God, it was. <laughs> oh God, here we go. The 2014 ACC season that Syracuse entered into was pure chaos. I just I forgot about how Syracuse was so bad that year that like it. I kind of forgot what was going on around Syracuse. God, like, remember, you, know, you know when you're like you're the I, year. This was my introduction to Syracuse football. Yeah, you you've got the the full bane going on. Like you were you were born in it. You were molded by it. Yeah, yeah. Adonis Amin Moore led the team in rushing. Mm-hmm. Oh this no, is PTG, PTG, PTG took was, it. Yeah, this just was after PTG had a great twenty thirteen. 
Yeah, he gained 47 yards that day. Adonis Amin Moore gained 38. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Gerard, um, so the receiving court, Gerard West. Steve Gerard West, the last, the last time we had a non-transfer tight end do something. Well, he was a wideout, though. Really? I thought he yeah, was he was end. a full-blown wideout, if I remember no. right. Yep. 6'3", six, six, uh, His senior year, when he kind of, Ishmael was kind of in his shadow before he broke out. Um, but, that, but that was Ishmael, that was also Ishmael's freshman year. Yeah. Uh, then ben I'm Lewis. Sorry. So it goes from that to Ben Lewis, Elvin Cornelius, Josh Paris. There's your tight end. And, and then Devontae McFarlane, PTG, were the other people that received passes that day. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. I just want to I just want to let you know, this is going to be the last time we talk about Matt Canada here. Um, is it though? tonight or ever? <laughs> it it better be. Uh, this NC. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the box score for the to the Syracuse game. This offense of NC State quarterback Jacoby Brissett in the NFL has been in the NFL for a long time. Leading rusher Jalen Samuels was in the NFL for a long time. Is still in the NFL. Their receiver Marquez Valdez Scandling. This oh my NC God, that's MBS. Oh my God. <laughs> this this NC State team had three NFL players at the three most important skill positions. They went eight and five. There is nothing more Matt Canada than being in college and oh, wasting no. that. By eight, and do you? They were five and four when they met us too. Like they, yeah, that oh. was. Ugh. Wow. I I get the NC the NC State NC State fans and Syracuse fans actually have a lot more in common because when you start going through those rosters and you see the results, there are I have questions. I have questions. Um, let's talk about the defense. <laughs> So wait, is that why it all culminated in Casillo going there for the stupid game? Yes, that, that that's was how that was the ultimate culmination of everything. <laughs> I I, oh, and, I and have to admit, and I, the quarterback bef- that I thought was there forever that wasn't Brissett, Ryan Finley. That's who I was oh, thinking. Oh yeah, he was there for eons. He was the yes. Carl Krauser of, uh, mm-hmm. of NC State. Yeah. Wow. There's there's always gonna be there's always gonna be one. Um, defense, uh, again, as we let off the top, they were good outside of the one Two drive drives. that broke everybody's, everybody's soul. And then the garbage play drive. Um, I think the most interesting thing about the deep, there are two things about this defense that I want to talk about really quickly before we get into the Clemson preview. Uh, the first is that the linebacker rotation is confusing. Uh, I thought it was Rocky long benching players. Christian, you seem to think it was just like, look, he's just giving them reps and trying to divvy up snap count. It could be both. I don't know. But I thought it was one of the more interesting th- elements of the game. Now, now looking back at it, it's probably a mixture of both. Yeah. I'm the backup, the backup linebacking group, the twos, did a better job of stuffing the run than the ones did. <laughs> but they both had in the first half. They both had one good drive and one bad drive. Fair, fair. I was. I mean, but the one. So bad in really, drive it's all. Know. So in reality, it's all a wash. I thought it was weird. Uh, the biggest concern I had for the defense, though, is still the run um, defense. And Steve, this is probably something that you appreciate a little bit. I don't know if you were able to listen to the game with the broadcasting volume on or not. Um, it was tough in the dome to hear the broadcast. Okay. Okay. So yes, that's <laughs> right. I assumed, I assumed you were at the game. I couldn't remember. Um, but one of the things that the broadcast, no, he, has, talking he about, had Sebastian giving him live play by play. I did. It was mildly entertaining. That was his that first... kid's going to, that kid's going to new house. <laughs> That offensive first, line uh... with a new house scholarship Ooh, Ooh, Steve's you salivating <laughs> <right> <laughs> oh steve's salivating right now could you imagine who's an offensive lineman going to new house i'm sure yeah. i actually there's i don't know i could actually see that more so than other combinations um but I, i'm i'm mostly interesting in asking steve about this because one of the things that they were trying it was tough because not the greatest play-by-play crew that has ever existed but one of the things that they were trying to explain was that, look, stopping the run defensively is not as simple as just put, put it, pinning your ear back, ears back and running forward. You have to kind of 
attack lanes and attack gaps um, strategically and have good timing. And there's a whole song and dance that happens when you don't have four guys up front who are just taking on and winning the individual battles of the double teams. Um, I thought I, I'm interested, Steve, to get your perspective on this because I do think that it was weird, but I thought, Darton looked better against Purdue than he did against Army. He did 100%. Which was weird for me, and I couldn't figure out if that was because he was going up guys, uh, going up against guys that are actually the same size, so he couldn't get that weird over-leverage <laughs> thing that he does because he's so much shorter yeah. than D1, you know, typical size guys. But it, it did seem like the defensive line especially was having a really hard time um, stopping the run like in general like the linebackers obviously weren't great but the linebackers were getting met at the second level by a lot of really angry army men um what what i will say also just in addition to this is that uh josh black had a really really good tweet about this you were gonna say a really really good game and i was like did i miss something on eligibility no 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 no. No. (laughs) josh black has actually been like on fire on twitter about just like being a Syracuse fan and cheering up Syracuse nice. and also like giving some nice analysis. What he said was running a three, three, five is legit. One of the worst case scenarios against this army offense, all the post snap movements by the DL don't really matter against the offensive philosophy. You just got to stiffen up on those doubles and not get driven back, which is easier said than done. However, which he also followed up by saying, I'm not going to lie. I'd absolutely hate to play against army's offense as a DL because you're basically getting doubled every single play. hundred percent. And that's, I mean, they're the way they're targeting and optioning, like no matter how much they've moved away from the triple option, you noticed like there was a lot of either, uh, I don't want to say RPO, but it was like RRO. (laughs) It was a matter of what, which run was happening. But uh, the offensive line philosophy, like he mentioned, is a straight double to a backer. And they're just protecting a gap and they're cleaning it out. And that's all they need to do. And until they started shifting the defensive line and bringing stunts to not, not stunts necessarily, but bringing, you know, presence to certain gaps, it really, uh, it it's a pain in the ass to play against as a defensive lineman. Like I, you can peel anybody out of a hole that you need to, if you're guaranteed to double him every single play, which is what army was doing. And that's why it was, you know, three yards in a cloud of dirt, every single play that first drive. There was nothing that they could do. Like, you just don't have the men. You don't have anything to stop it. And until until they made some adjustments, there's there's nothing happening. One thing yeah, I will I... say is that also, like, Syracuse also has to learn, just in general, because this is a trend over the past few years, Syracuse also has to learn how to tackle without having guys fall forward. You can do because that. Because there's a... It's tough. <laughs> Because there's a there's been a lot of tackles, especially in that army team, where they would actually get good tackles and stop them at the line of scrimmage, but they'd fall forward and get three yards. Right. Right. And I, I think one of the things that I am weirdly a little bit more optimistic about with the Clemson game that's upcoming on the defensive side of the ball is that Gar- Garrett Riley seems really intent on running his game script instead of um, maybe attacking the team the way it should be. Like there were some play calls in that Florida state game where the way that what they were calling didn't make sense in the scenario. They were still really intelligent plays, but it's just really clear that Cade Klubnik and those wide receivers just weren't going to beat FSU running certain running certain concepts. And I feel like they, like, especially now, they really want to spread the field out. And if there's one thing that we know the 3-3-5 can help you handle is a team that wants to play in space. And Syracuse has guys that can chase down good athletes in space and make solid tackles and close out effectively. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to be like, I'm not saying that Syracuse's defense is going to thrive against Clemson. I'm just saying that when you're talking about stylistically what Army wants to do in constrict space and and kind of, you know, run you over inch by inch versus what Clemson wants to do, the defensive matchup kind of favors Clemson more schematically 
than Army. It's just naturally, you know, Clemson's running out there with Will Shipley, who I am genuinely terrified might end up with like six touchdowns and pull a Raheem Mostart on us uh, on, on Saturday. That That is literally the problem is that if Garrett Riley actually, like you said, gets smart and decides, hey, you know what we're going to do on first and second down? Just give the ball to Shipley. Pretty much. Yeah, I because, mean, I would because love if it. Remember what happened during the last drive last year? The drive, the game-winning drive for Clemson last year was give the ball to Shipley, and that was it. Yeah, and that's all they needed to do. And not much has changed in either team to tell me that won't be a winning strategy once again. They. I I am going to make an assumption that Clemson is probably going to attempt to run a bit more aggressively um, and attempt to attack Syracuse through the ground. But I also would just like to put it out there that, look, Garrett Riley, if you really, really want to just keep throwing swing passes to Will Shipley, go for it. Because I weirdly feel very comfortable with Marlo Wax and Elijah Clark closing closing out on that, that'll uh, be Shipley in the backfield. <laughs> that'll be Elijah Clark. Yeah. yeah like no, no, I, now the problem is going to be if those swing passes go to Jason Simmons' side. Yeah. Because yes. that's a little hit and miss. Literally. And it's either a hit or a whiff. <laughs> um Yeah, I don't know. I I'm I guess we're back to the Steve goes to the trenches again but i'm worried about what we're facing on the defensive side it's it's not as good as they've been in the past but you still have tyler davis and xavier thomas and oh by the way uh jeremiah trotter jr is still there yeah (laughs) yeah he's a junior this year why also i'm old because (laughs) how (laughs) how is that a junior come on (laughs) But yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's ter- yeah, that's they, that's that's, in- that's all of, that's all of Andy's relatives when seeing Joey Porter Jr. getting drafted last year. <laughs> right, exactly. That's how I felt with Joey Porter Jr. <laughs> getting drafted. <laughs> you don't even need to go to my relatives. That was that was a me thing. Uh, uh, yeah, Rick no, Oro, they, yeah, Justin Maskell. That whole defensive front is not going to be fun. I mean, that defensive front was giving Florida a Florida team that handled LSU's front seven was struggling against that front seven. Like, and this is again, not to harp on the like, man, I really wish we had a Ronde Gatston here, but Florida state won that game because they essentially decided the way to beat Clemson was to just keep throwing one-on-one jump balls because Clemson wanted to play man coverage and didn't want to play zone. So they threw up a bunch of one-on-one balls to their guys, Jordan, Travis. It was the only way to prevent Travis from getting a beating. and what ended up happening was that Florida state won enough of those one-on-one battles to, uh, to advance. And you know what? I think Damian Alford is going to get his, like, I am, I am not worried that Syracuse is going to move the ball on Clemson because Schrader will hang in there. He'll shake a couple guys. He'll get a throw over to Alford and Syracuse will get, get some touches and move the ball down the field that way. What it's you're saying just is that we need Damian Alford to be key on Coleman. What I'm saying is, is that we only have one of them. Florida State has lots of them. And if we had a Ronde Gadsden and Damian Alford and Isaiah Jones, I suddenly think that this matchup is fundamentally different. But instead, we're going to be relying on Donovan Brown and Trey Borpena if he's, if he's healthy, and Omari Hatcher, who are just not guys that you can do that with. And I'm not, and like the Clemson cornerbacks are very good at shutting down the short stuff. They struggle on the deep stuff. And unfortunately, right now, Syracuse is very good at the short stuff, not so great at the deep stuff. I mean, deep stuff looked good against Army. To one I mean, well, yeah. I was mostly talking about the middle, of the, the middle of the field deep stuff that we talked about that they're just not doing right now. <laughs> you mean that part of the field that Schrader can actually throw to? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that. Oh, okay. We should probably and this use all that. circles back to what we talked about at the beginning. You know what would really help with that? Deep balls over the middle. A running back or a tight end. Mm-hmm. You know what would really uh, help is Donovan Brown running post routes. 
with some of that gas. That too, yeah, that, that would that would help a lot. Like mm-hmm. using him, using him across the middle, I'm perfectly fine with. Yes, he's young. Yes, he's probably going to make mistakes, but the pros seem to the the pros is in his wheels a hundred percent outweigh some of the cons. I also I'm, just looking at Clemson's roster. Uh, do you know who their holder is? The third son of Debo Swinney. Oh, wonderful! One Clay Swinney. You remember who? Remember who their kicker is? Also now, uh, a guy who keeps missing. I mean, that's. I mean, that's. This is well, the, no, no, the no, part. no longer. Remember, they they replaced him with someone yeah, else. Missed the kick. To, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the, yes, I mean, he missed the kick at the end of the game. Yeah, but still. Yeah, I, they have who? a functional kicker now. Number forty-one on their roster, Steve. Oh Jesus! Come on. Yeah, just so you know, he's old. Not Virginia kicker old, but he's old. Jonathan Whites. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Um, Came out of retirement to rejoin the team in late September. Exactly. There it is. There it is. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Turned, I believe that the the broadcast said that he was working as a financial uh, investor. He had a job lined up in New York. Yeah. And then as he was about... He had a job lined oh, up. Oh, he saw was... he saw he saw the rent prices and was like, "Nope, I'm going back to school." <laughs> God, wow! Return to the we, Tigers I... following an inquiry from head coach Debo Swinney three games into the 2023 season. Exactly, it's incredible. How do you do that? <laughs> Apparently, he was still un- enrolled in online classes, so you know that's a chat. <laughs> okay, well, that's a thing. Can we get yeah, uh, this is gonna be... after that missed extra point? Like, can we get? Uh, any of our past kickers on dial? I, I say your, that, but well, what's, like Denberg what, actually looks solid for uh, most of his field goals and that. So, what's Giorgio doing on Saturdays? <laughs> yeah, he's you know Friday night game. Saturdays he comes and kicks, and then that's that. He's a lot on corners, right? Like, so he's got to have some sort yeah, of there you accuracy. Go. <laughs> I, I just kind of appreciate that we are hiding our, our fear of Clemson through random tangents about Matt Canada and Syracuse men's soccer. It it does, you know, it is the way like, to hide. Like, I'll hide honestly, the pain. yes, the defense is going to be tough, but we mentioned, uh, but we mentioned what I think is going to decide this game. I think it's going to be Shipley. Shipley is going to decide this game. If yeah. Syracuse can somehow contain Shipley, this game opens up a lot more, in my opinion. Now, the the reason why that's going to decide, I say that's going to decide the game, because it's a lot easier said than done to contain Shipley. The the thing, the reason that I understand the optimism around this game in particular is because the recipe for beating Clemson is have Clemson screw up on special teams have Clemson's quarterback be unable to make deep throws and contain their running back that is the source of the of the actual offense like that's and what happened in that was 2017 2017 in yeah exactly and like that's what Syracuse does when they play Clemson tight and the it feels if like listen if Syracuse were to win this game on Saturday I would not be surprised I think it's like a 45% chance that Syracuse pulls off the upset, which is insanely high. I also think that there's like a 20% chance that Clemson wins this one by like three scores because they just keep handing Will Shipley the ball and Syracuse can't stop him running through the A-gap. Like both of those things are on the table here. And it's what makes this game really interesting because it really does boil down to stop the run. We have a game on our hands. Don't stop the run. This this is just not going to be fun. By the way, uh, Matt Canada did something on offense. I I yeah. Was it There's, bad? I. <laughs> um. And, and so, but to to uh to uh also go back to like who decides this game? Could uh the most important player on Syracuse's defense now also end up being Kevon Darton? Um, 
I like Darton a lot. Steve, let's talk about why we like our short nose tackles. Um, he is probably one of my favorites on the team this year, mostly because what we've seen from him so far is using his um, less than ideal size that probably prevented him from going somewhere else. Uh, and he has turned himself into a really good weapon. Like, against Purdue, it was really obvious that they had no idea, like, what to do with the small guy who is coming up on them and getting leverage every play. Army did a much better job of neutralizing him, and, and I'm just intrigued because, yes, Clemson's roster is good, but their offensive line has been shaky. Darton blowing stuff up in the middle of the of the play would be pretty advantageous for Syracuse. Yeah, I mean, he just needs to be that turtle in the middle that doesn't move. Like, get turtle. low, stay low, get under their pads, and just make life a living hell for that center and those guards. Someone show this conversation to Kevin two years ago. <laughs> that's that's true. As as a walk on handing him this saying, he's the key to the to the game against Clemson. <laughs> because I distinctly remember two years ago in our Slack, Darton being Kevin's least favorite player on this team. And look where we are it, now. I mean, as dumb as it sounds, when he first started, everybody was like, we're down to a walk-on defensive lineman. Like, what is going on here? And lo and behold, like, he he's damn solid at what he does. So, hey. So, because what it because eventually what it turned out to be, because I don't think in any other system, Darton will work out. But right. in the 3 no. 3 five, he's the guy you want. Because yeah. he's the guy you want to take up space. Get get low, stay where you are, stay plugged in that gap, and be annoying as hell. Because a lot of other systems, a lot of other traditional defenses are looking for guys to be Aaron Donald. Yeah. You yes. don't need that. Nope. Especially in the 335, you don't need that. The the big thing that I am really looking forward to is um that that battle there and on the offensive side of the ball i really do want to see what the offensive line combo is like if ellis plays i'm gonna be irrationally optimistic i i do think though that at this point based on how that army game was going if ellis didn't get into the game like that then we were we were not in good shape i don't know if he was wearing street clothes or not um I think Ellis was, but Moore wasn't. Yeah, so Moore might... Yeah. I mean, this is... we, we talk about Moore. We also don't know if Moore would have been in this starting lineup. Ellis, we this know what true. we were getting with. This is true. Everything we say about Moore is a large assumption. Pun intended. Um, <laughs> they, like, so hopefully he's good enough to be a difference maker, but also, like... I mean, Petri didn't look horrible. I don't want to see what he's doing against Clemson's D-line necessarily. But yeah. also, he didn't look horrible against the back half of Purdue and against Army. So, I don't know. I don't know where that's going to land. No matter what, more healthy bodies are better healthy bodies. Yeah. I'm, I am slightly... Um, I'm slightly concerned, but we're going to have to wait and see how it goes. Um, I think, I think we're all sitting here going like, look, we know that this game is going to come down to the trenches. If Syracuse is going to have a chance, they're going to need to hold their own on defense and they're going to need to be somewhat efficient on offense in, in that regard. Is there anything else that you're looking forward to or interested in, in this weekend's, matchup uh schematically i mean i do want to make a note that right now last week is the first time all year syracuse has been above the mendoza line 
in all categories on PFF. Let's go. Even in whatever they... stupidity that first half was, they ended up uh, with the, the lowest grade was a 60.0 for run blocking and special teams at 60.6. Everything else was uh, in the green. They are they are trending in the right direction. Uh, they are top 30 in both, uh, uh, or sorry, top 35 in both offense and defense, SP+. We talked about the efficiency numbers. Uh, they're ranked 20th overall in efficiency margin. They're right now look like a solid team. The Clemson game is going to be an indication of are they a solid team or are they an ACC solid team, which means seven and five, going to win some games, going to lose some games that drive you nuts both ways. <laughs> I mean, no matter what, we're looking as good as we can going into the, uh, I believe we trademarked yeah. the stretch of stupidity. And if we have stupidity we works. <laughs> You know what's weird? I said at the season, we're not going to know what this team is until probably after the bye. I think that still holds. Yeah, I can see that. Mm -hmm. uh, because You know what helps is Virginia Tech looking like a bag of hot garbage. Yeah. Virginia Tech is... I, I was cautiously optimistic that Virginia Tech was going to be bad. Um, they are surpassing my wildest expectations. <laughs> <laughs> Now what, about, now, what about Yankee Stadium, Phil? Well, the flip side the flip side to Virginia Tech being hot, gar hot garbage is that Georgia Tech is showing signs of life, and uh, that was not on the bingo card for 2023. But what about Wake Forest, then? <laughs> I, again, ACC. It's just, this is a very, yes, uh, week, four, uh, week four was very go ACC. But to wrap yeah. this up, like we usually do on Disloyal Idiots, is Duke good at men's soccer? I don't. Um, they're good at they're good at one type of football. I don't know if they're allowed to be good at more than one kind of football. But well, because they're ranked eleventh, and based on everything that's happened to the ACC, I'm not sure if that's a good ranking or not. Uh, it's a weird, such a weird ass season for soccer. Exactly. Fed soccer was, until this la latest game, was against Louisville, right? This uh, Pitt was game. our last game. Oh, no, Pitt. The 3-2 right? win was Pitt, yeah. Yeah. So, like, until this last game against Pitt, it was the epitome of, yes, we can get first-half leads. Uh, it's a crapshoot of whether we're going to hold on to that in, the, in yeah. the second half. Yeah, and I'll be curious. I mean, they did lose to Cornell early in the week, but then they beat Pitt. So at four one by getting a first half that. lead and then letting letting things go away in the second half. Right. Um, so I'll be curious <laughs> where that that ends up uh where they end up. I mean, they're currently seventh. We'll see whether they write or uh stay the same or drop, likely drop, but I don't know. No one below them is really a world beater either. So Louisville, who they already drew on the year. You've got Duke, like you mentioned, Wake is fourteen. Uh, Notre Dame 15 like the ACC is all in the where's uh, Clemson is Clemson meet? even on there no they're not even a, they're not even oh no they are receiving votes mm -hmm. Clemson's receiving five and Pitt is receiving four Virginia's receiving seven for all your ACC needs Virginia receiving seven wolf that's a down year for them yeah all three of them yeah I mean Pitt historically not great lately Recently. solid yeah but hey whatever we're looking. We're we're a top ten team, no matter what, in men's soccer, which I will never complain about. The soccer team and the football team both have a week where on Sunday night when we chat, uh, I am intrigued to see what our mood is because it could be very good or it could be very bad. <laughs> well, a lot of it is completely predicated on the fact that uh, the Avengers will actually succeed. And that uh, we can reverse the snap because it looked like Dino was uh, pretty well gone uh, during that broadcast. I mean, military appreciation day, okay? Yeah. Like the the camel has to work good in many different scenarios. Yep, we were full Mister Wildhack. I don't feel too good. Uh, 
in the middle of that game. Uh, there was a br- if anyone didn't. I see mean, it, I uh, I did you feel good during the game? Because <laughs> I didn't feel good during the game. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, so to put so to put a wild bow on all of this, the game day is going to Duke this weekend. Can we somehow convince Pat McAfee and his crew to go to the Duke uh, uh, Syracuse game at night before before game day? <laughs> That'd be great. Oh, I mean, Ka- I... I mean, Koskinen is right next to the football stadium. Hmm. <laughs> start, start tweeting uh, at McAfee and, and see what happens. Oh man, respect men's soccer. God damn it, uh, that's uh, we respect men's soccer here, and that is why we are the Disloyal Idiots Podcast, a fans first sports nation podcast. This was chaotic. This is uh, this is what happens when you get the three of us back together. It's going to be a fun, weird time. And we will be back here again next Sunday night when uh, we are recapping whatever happens against Syracuse and Clemson. Uh, thank you to everybody who's listening to us on the podcast platform of choice. Make sure you like and subscribe. Help us trick the AI into expending the Ottoman Empire. Thank you to our friends at Fans for Sports Nation and our friends at NoonsMedition.com. Uh, if you are watching this on Twitch, reminder, uh, subscribe go live Sunday nights at 8 p.m. You get to watch all the fun reactions, hang out with our friend Mike over in the Twitch chat. Uh, Always a good time over there. Also, uh, thank you as always to Homefield Apparel. Been our sponsor forever. We love you guys, and uh, they love us, and that is why they're the best. Gentlemen, go Orange. Go Orange. Go Orange.